my bags are packed, I'm ready to go. I'm standing here outside your door. I hate to wake you up to say goodbye. But the dawn is breaking, it's early morning. April 1969, the NBA Finals, Boston Celtics, Los Angeles Lakers. A young reporter, Lee Montville, covers for the Boston Globe. It's an important assignment. Lee Montville gives it all he's got. I spent time in buildings that no longer exist. I worked with people who no longer are alive. I traveled across the country back and forth on airplanes. I ate in restaurants, I drank in bars. I talked to friends, sometimes late into the night. I rode in cabs. I talked to strangers, some of them famous, face to face. I bought three newspapers every day, first thing in the morning. Read them with a tactical and discerning eye, looked for news I had not heard, worried, analyzed. I went to the games. Yes, I did. I pushed through crowds. I shoved. I stayed up late. I woke up early, West Coast time. I stood in lines, everybody close together. I hustled. The rush of it all, the colors, the emotions, the deadlines, the locker rooms, the quotes, the typing, the worry, worry, worry. My heart sometimes seemed as if it was going to explode. I was young. I was younger than I thought I was. I was 100% alive. Welcome to Championship Stories, a podcast about champions triumphant. I'm your host, Steve Morantz. This episode is a championship story wrapped within another one. It's about the Celtics and Lakers in 1969, about Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain, Sam Jones and Elgin Baylor, John Havlicek and Jerry West. Seven games for the title. It's also about a reporter, Lee Montville, 25 years old, at the start of his career. A guy who finds sports ripe for storytelling, who identifies with the new journalism of the 1960s, who glories in his first California assignment and his first look at the Pacific Ocean, a guy who appreciates the parochial customs of Boston and is reviled by its tribal racism, a writer with a genius for anecdote and a bemused, ironic voice not unlike that of Mark Twain. Montville's 25-year-old self will be remembered by his 77-year-old self in his book, Tall Men, Short Shorts, which came out in 2021. His book is about himself as a young writer, and it's about a basketball era he wants young fans to know about, including his 15-year-old grandson. There's a school of thought, a large school of thought now, that, that all of this stuff really didn't exist, you know, that that it didn't count, and that... Uh, Anything before LeBron James and Stephen Curry are, are, are irrelevant. Um, my own grandson, who was like 15 years old when, when I was starting out on this book, we, we were playing uh, NBA NBA 2K19. It's a, a video game. He was picking his team, and he said, what about this Wilt Chamberlain guy? Should I pick him? And I said, well, yeah, you should pick him. You know, he's probably the most dominant player who's ever played in the NBA. 
I don't know. You, you, you get to be like a thousand years old, which I am, and and you look back at that time, and and people kind of look askance at it that, that that have come, you know, that have come much later. But there was the same enthusiasm for the games. There, there was thirteen nine oh nine at the Boston Garden. It was a lot like what it is today. I mean, it's certainly different in a bunch of ways too. But but the games were important and. The seats were filled. They, they were just filled with other people. It's early morn. Taxi's waiting. He's blowing his horn. Already I'm so lonesome. I could cry. 1969. 51 years pre-pandemic. 14 teams in the NBA. No merger with the upstart ABA. Not for another seven years. No three-point shot. No free agency, no internet or cell phones, no laptops or video games. No ESPN, that's 10 years in the future. Telecasts often are blacked out locally to protect the live gate. Radio delivers play-by-play, Johnny Most for the Celtics, and Chick Hearn for the Lakers. Daily newspapers and weekly magazines serve up news, color, and analysis. Young Montville studies older journalists, some to emulate, some not. In Boston, Will McDonough, Bud Collins, Jack Craig, Ray Fitzgerald, Bob Sale, Ernie Roberts, George Sullivan, Ed Galuli, also Cliff Keene, whose crude racism sickens Montville. In Los Angeles, Jim Murray and Doug Krikorian. In New York, Milton Gross. Sports Illustrated has Frank DeFord, Sporting News' Phil Elderkin. And there's a new writer in Boston. Celtics player coach Bill Russell is filing a column to the Globe after each postseason game at $200 a pop. Montville is tasked with reminding Russell to call the Globe Sports Department to dictate his column. Not an enviable task because, as Montville writes, quote, Russell's disposition made him approachable only at risk there was little time for chit-chat and bullshit, end quote. Russell's persona is complicated. He's the first black head coach in the four major pro sports, and he is an edgy voice in America's cultural and political conversation. Russell holds no affection for Boston. He considers it a flea market of racism. Montville describes Russell as, quote, the socially activated modern African-American athlete able to respond to the big events of the time, but also bothered by the daily paper cuts of racism. He was smart enough to recognize slights, subtle as they sometimes might be, bold enough to talk about them. He didn't care who heard what he had to say. In 1969, Boston has three daily newspapers. Montville writes for the Boston Globe's Evening Edition. His competitors write for the Record American and Herald Traveler, they have years on the Celtics beat. Montville is a nervous rookie. And, and I, I was very much a neophyte. And through a, a number of circumstances, I, I, I had gotten this assignment to cover the, the Celtics in the playoffs. I covered the first two series, and I was covering the final series. The first two series were in New York and Philadelphia. I had never been to California. I'd never been to Florida. I'd never seen a palm tree. I'd never seen the Pacific Ocean. I had never been on a plane that flew long enough that they had time for an in-flight movie um, or dinner. I 
time has come to leave you one more time let me kiss you then close your eyes and uh, so this was all new to me and I, I i was kind of blinking in the reflected spotlight and i i, I was young and ambitious like like everybody's young and ambitious you know uh, my idea was you know let's get rid of the deadwood and put in the put in the young guys like myself and we'll take over and everything, which is a fine theory until all of a sudden you're the age of the deadwood, you know, and, and you're the one they want to get rid of. Monfield comes from New Haven, Connecticut, an only child who went to Catholic high school and made his first visit to Old Boston Garden in 1960 at age 16. He studied at University of Connecticut, started his career at the New Haven Journal-Courier, and was hired by the Boston Globe in 1968 at a time when sports journalism reimagined itself. And the new journalism, I thought at the time, you, you, cried, you tried to write a, a, a cogent story, like, like you were writing a short story, like it, 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 you used some of the, the, the devices that fiction writers use, you know, describing things and, and the way people dressed or the, uh, I don't know, the smells or the sounds that you had, uh, you know, all the different things. You, 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 you just tried to pack it in with, with all these kind of true life things. And th that was very much opposed to what the old timers had been doing. And, and you, you would sometimes bring in socially relevant things or, or irrelevant things, you know, w while you were writing your story. The idea was that, that more and more people were watching the game on television and and they kind of knew the who, what, why, when, where, and you were trying to broaden their knowledge and, and expand the whole thing. And everybody's, everybody asked all, all questions and tried to fill in all the blanks and get as much knowledge as possible. And the, the, the name for the the new sports writers was the Chipmunks because Jimmy Cannon, a great old sports writer, had listened to all these young guys asking all these questions, and he said they sound like a bunch of chipmunks, and, and that that kind of stuck in New York, and and I kind of admired those those chipmunks, and I I considered myself a chipmunk, but nobody ever called me a chipmunk, you know. Okay, so 25-year-old Lee Monfield covers the '69 Finals. The Celts and Lakers have been down this road. They had met in the finals five times. The Celtics had won all five. A year earlier, the Celtics had won their 10th title in 12 years against, who else? The Lakers. Red Auerbach sits atop their dynasty. But in 69, the Celtics are in decline. With future Hall of Famers Sam Jones and Bill Russell worn down by age, both in their final season, the Celtics finished fourth in the Eastern Division. They finished fourth even with first-team all-star John Havlicek in the lineup. The Lakers easily win their division with Wilt Chamberlain. Wilt the Stilt was the 1968 MVP with the Philadelphia 76ers, but he wanted out and threatened to jump to the new ABA. So the Sixers trade him to the Lakers, where he gets big money and joins Hall of Famers Elgin Baylor and Jerry West. It was the first really big kind of free agent kind of deal. I mean, Wilt was big enough and, and important enough that he could dictate where he was going to go. And he 
pulled before before players had any control over themselves. He had some control over himself, and he, he engineered a trade to Los Angeles, much like LeBron James did. You know, let's go to Los Angeles and let's become a movie star and live in the Hollywood Hills and. The whole thing was the Lakers were favored to win this. They had, they had finished first in, in the Western Division. And so they had the first two home games. It, it was the first time the Celtics had come into a finals and they didn't have the first two home games. Um, so they, they went out to Los Angeles and they lost the first two games. Then they came back to Boston. They won the third game. And the fourth game came down to a crazy shot by Sam Jones at the at the end off a strange play, you know, off the wrong foot, um, and the ball bounced off the back of the rim with high in the air and came down through the hoop. And the Celtics won the fourth game, which kind of made the whole series. If they had lost that game, they would have lost the series for sure because they would have had to play, you, you know, two games out in Los Angeles and win both of them. Um, they would have been down 3-1. to one. The Lakers take Game 5 in Los Angeles, the Celtics Game 6 in Boston. Game 7 is back at the fabulous Forum. Lakers owner Jack Kent Cook is so confident of victory, he puts out a press release that morning. Balloons will drop from the Forum ceiling. The USC marching band will play Happy Days Are Here Again. Chick Hearn will interview the Lakers at center court. And champagne and cake will be served in the locker room. Just joined us. Boston led at the end of the first quarter, 28 to 25. At halftime, 59 to 56. The end of the third quarter, 91 to 76. Now it's 94 to 78. Celtics now with that big lead, oftentimes the uh, intent is to slow it up, try and sit on the lead. The Celtics went out to a 17-point seven, lead and looked like they were going to cruise, but then the Lakers made it close at the end, and, uh, and it was a thriller. And Don Nelson's shot? Yeah, that was the big shot down the end. It was, it was, it was much like Sam Jones's shot. Um, Keith Erickson of the Lakers knocked the ball away from – John Havlicek, which would have been a big steal. I, I think it was it, 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 it was like a tie game, or, or the Celtics were up by one at the time. And Erickson knocked the ball away. A minute, 33 to go. Boston by a single point as Siegfried drives. Now it's Havlicek. Erickson knocked away, but Nelson gets it. Don Nelson. And it went right to Don Nelson, who was right at the foul line. And the 24 sec second clock was, was ticking down, and he just threw the ball up in the air. And uh, that hit the back rim, too, and it went high in the air. And with every passing year, the ball has gone further up in the air. I think it was about three aeronautical miles up there now and came back down and went right through the hoop and uh, – that was the stake in the heart of the Lakers. Final score, Celtics 108, Lakers 106. Lee Montville writes in his book, quote, The 108-106 finish was wonderful if you were a Celtic. 
a validation of truth, justice, solid personal hygiene, three square meals per day, crossing on the green, and a strong belief in the enduring abilities of William Felton Russell. The finish was terrible, terrible, the pit of pits if you were a Laker. Money had been thrown out the window. Hope had been destroyed. How much pain were human beings supposed to endure? It was synthetic pain, of course, the result of an athletic contest, no one dying or dead, but it certainly felt real, end quote. The Celtics come home to a championship parade three days later, May 8, 1969, Boston's first such parade. Somehow, Lee Montville finds himself in the parade, propped up in a convertible, waving to the crowd. Montville writes, quote, The details have become murky with time. There was an extra car, maybe a couple of extra cars. Someone said, Hey, why don't you come along? The bright young man, again, was 25 years old. Would this cross the journalistic line? Would he be acting a little self-important? What the heck? Maybe it would be good for the story. He sat in the back of the convertible, feet on the leather back seat, ass on the trunk, and waved to whoever was waving at him. Some torn-up newspapers or business forms floated down from the taller buildings on Washington Street. The thought went through the bright young man's head that this was how it must have been for Lindbergh when he came home from Paris. Okay. Lindbergh might have had more ticker tape. Since 1969, the Celtics have won six more championships. Lee Montville became a columnist for The Globe, a staff writer for Sports Illustrated, and the author of nine books. Wikipedia has a Lee Montville page. Sports media today, Montville writes, is boring. Access is too limited and there's too much Twitter in opinion. Boring, he thinks, compared to sports writing in 1969 when he was young. All my bags are packed, I'm ready to go. I'm standing here outside your door. I hate to wake you up. Thanks for listening to Championship goodbye. Stories. Special thanks to Lee Montville for his photographic memory, his fine writing, and for sharing an occasional round of golf. I had the good fortune of working with Lee at the Boston Globe, where I got a close-up view of his artistry. You can find this podcast on all major platforms, and if you do, please give it a rating. I'm your host, Steve Morantz. Uh, what, was, what was cool was that, that, that they did the audio book here, you know, and I was able to to be the reader on the audio book, you know? I, I tell people that they, they, they've sent the audio book straight to Guantanamo to get terrorists to talk, you know? <laughs> <laughs>